Hey everyone, and welcome to Radically Normal. This is Michael, and I'm here with Andre, and on today's episode, we go through 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as we begin our time through this book uh, written by Paul, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. What's up, everybody? Andre here. I just wanted to point out that you were listening to us since the beginning. I think you probably know that one of Michael's favorite hobbies is rock climbing and you know traveling to those mountain adventures and all that. But I am now joining the grind of climbing, and I am <laughs> actually really liking it. And one day I will be a pro, just as Michael is. I'll maybe even surpass his talents. Okay, big boy over here has climbed twice in an indoor gym, number one. Number two, I'm not a pro and not even close. And number three, uh, yeah, if you didn't know or you're new to the podcast, I love mountain adventures and I cannot wait to go to California for two weeks in June to climb in Yosemite and Northern California and in Oregon. So pretty pumped about that. But we'll see how long Andre's climbing endures because it's been two weeks. Well, we got a full one month membership, so... You know, Bro, you prepaid that, for a month? Right there. You prepaid for a month? That's so much more expensive. I'm only going to be in Atlanta for a month. And it was only like $20 more. $20 more? Why didn't you just make a mem- get a membership and then cancel it? Because you got to prepay for four months that way. I didn't want to do that. Prepay for four months? Dang, dude. Well, are you going to climb in the summer? Yep, I think I will. Down in Houston, maybe in Dallas a few times. We'll see. Maybe you got some guest passes for me. I do have some guest passes. Two, oh, not really guest passes, but two for ones, which uh, I used to work at Summit. So that's a little bit of history, and now that's in the past. But yeah, I can't wait for the summer. It's going to be really fun climbing in Yosemite on Half Dome <coughs> and then climbing in uh, Northern California, Mount Shasta, and then in Oregon on Mount Hood. And so that should be pretty exciting. But I told Andre to go outside and climb. He said it sounds too scary. So I don't know if he's ready to face his fears because if he's only climbed inside, that means he's either climbed up 25 feet or 50 feet. I think it's 12 feet. It's Oh, just it's bouldering. Oh, bouldering. just bouldering. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, bouldering. If you're not familiar, bouldering is basically unroped climbing, typically up to like 15 to 20 feet. And uh, I guess that's the extent of Andre's, of Andre's climbing. All V1s bouldering. I'm just messing. He's definitely climbed more than that. (laughs) Um, Man, you see, Michael had no faith that uh, the Spirit would help us introduce this episode, and we really didn't have a plan for what we'd share with you guys today, but, you know, the Spirit came through, and now we're going to go into 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're super excited to get into this magnificent letter, so, Michael, why don't you kick us off with this this greeting? Yeah, so no better way to kick it off than to read it, right? So, he says, or Paul begins it, Paul, or Saul, remember, Saul didn't become Paul, same person. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, here we see Paul and Timothy as co-writers or co-senders. Timothy also helped along with uh, Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, but not with First Corinthians, interestingly enough. And so, uh, what do you see here? We have a couple verses. You said uh, you're interested in this introduction. What do you got? Yeah, so the first main thing is I'm glad that I didn't uh, have to read that first part because the, what is it, Achaia? I'm glad I didn't have to say that because I probably would have said uh, Achia or something look, like that. Look, look, going back to Nehemiah with King Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes, it is just best to, you know, even if you mispronounce it, just say it with confidence. You're all good. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't say Achaia. It wouldn't sound like I'm sneezing <laughs> or something. But <laughs> anyway, we, we talked about last week how one of the themes of, of this letter is Paul defending 
himself and his ministry. We're going to see a little bit more of that, uh, even in chapter one, more pronounced and more obvious. But here, uh, kind of was just reading about how this is just a pretty standard introduction for a letter. Uh, like not really too much stands out to me, except for the fact that I thought it was interesting how even going into verse three and four, he, you can tell that he's like using like very uh, a proper letter introduction. And, and because people are kind of questioning or, or, you know, leaning more towards the teachings of other people, such as I think it was Titus um, that I read about, then potentially he's, uh, you know, reestablishing that, uh, you know, despite not going to go actually visit them in person, he's writing this letter, he's he's making it proper, it's formal, it's a big deal. Um, he wants them to pay attention. He's going to outline the themes that he's going to talk about. And uh, so I think that the intro introduction is good. Um, and I think that you had some things about verse two, where it talks about uh, grace and peace from God. So I'll hand it back over to you. Andre's going to get stressed at how long I want to talk about the first couple of verses, but that's okay. So first thing that I would I kind of want to talk about is, uh, well, first, I've spent a lot of time of the last couple of years in Ephesians. And just to recite the first, the beginning of that, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. And then it takes a different path. So if you listen to that carefully, you might notice that the only difference really is to the church of God that is at Corinth or to the saints who are at at Ephesus. And so we do see, like Andre said, kind of this, uh, this typical greeting. And inside this greeting, we actually get a lot of information. Paul says he's an apostle of Christ, so he's set apart, sent by Christ by the will of God. So he's saying, remember, he's def he's going to uh, defend his apostleship in this book. He's saying, I'm writing and living by the authority of God. This is all God's will. I didn't pick to do this. And if you know Acts 9, like we talked about last week, then you do know that Paul was chosen. And then uh, grace and peace. Uh, a lot of people skip over this just because it's very typical, but I love this quote from Martin Luther, who says, these two words, grace and peace, include all that belong to Christianity. Grace releases sin and peace makes the conscience quiet. These two fiends that torment us are sin and conscience, but Christ has vanquished these two monsters and has trodden them underfoot, end quote. And so with grace, we see God's unmerited favor and blessing. And with peace, we see that contentment, that shalom that comes from the experience of grace. And so... Uh, yeah, I mean, we could really spend a lot of time on what grace and peace mean in relationship to the rest of the New Testament. But like Andre said, as we get into the next couple of verses, we see uh, him really talk about who the Lord is and then how that impacts how he understands his suffering and how he understands his comfort. So Andre, as we get past the introduction into who God is and then how Paul relates to that, uh, what do we see first? Yeah, so I think that the most interesting thing that stuck out to me is, is going back to verse one, how you said, how you pointed out how um, he says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. And we can tell that he's going to kind of defend himself. Like we talked about that a little bit last week. Well, he, his first defense here is, you know, by the will of God, you know, it's God's will that he um, is an apostle of Jesus. So he's not just doing this willy nilly. But then as we get into verses four, five, and six, he begins like his first, um, you know, his first point that he makes is, you know, that, that he, like he says, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Um, and he talks about also how, you know, he finds his comfort in Christ as well. But, you know, the first thing that he points to is that he has suffered for the kingdom. He suffered for, um, for like the will of God uh, to, you know, spread Christ's name. That, that's like the first thing that he points out and that he wants, you know, the church at Corinth to know is that, you know, he suffered 
And, you know, that's one of the things that, um, or one of the primary things is his suffering um, for Christ that, that he thinks is, is the most important uh, thing ab about his um, apostleship and, and the thing that, you know, he wants to point out to them as they are questioning him. That's good. I am, uh, Paul's talking about suffering and he will for the rest of the book and I am now suffering. I just took a sip of water and spilled it on my scripture journal. So that's rather depressing, but back to Paul's suffering. So it's actually interesting. So in verse five, it says we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. And I'm pretty sure the NIV or some other translations say sufferings of Christ, uh, comparisons and translations can always be interesting, but regardless of what that wording is, it's not about, our sufferings for the gospel or Paul's sufferings for the gospel. Paul will talk a lot about later how he has suffered for the faith and for the joy of those at Corinth. However, this is talking about how Jesus himself has suffered and has been crucified and how we or Paul, but altogether participate in that suffering. So in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And there's a lot of scripture that goes along with that. We have been baptized into Christ's death in Romans 6. And so this is Christ's sufferings, Christ's life that we are participating in. And actually, as we're recording this on Good Friday, it's even no worth noting that this is the crucifixion that we think of today and the atonement for our sins, which is making today good. But we participate in that death. We have been crucified with Christ. And so that is what Paul is talking about here. And I like how he talks about comfort and how the English translates that, actually, because this comfort, the only thing that we need to understand it, though, is the fact that this comfort is completely different from how we understand comfort. Comfort to us is you have a soda, you're sitting on the couch, you're watching Seinfeld, or I'm watching Seinfeld, and you're very, and you're very content and pleased with what's going on. Comfort to Paul is not like, oh, I'm comfortable. Comfort to Paul is... It's the strength and encouragement to endure. So it's he's not it, he's not like us today. We're not we're not he's not trying to get rid of the problem of suffering or anything like that. He's saying suffering is an outlet for the glory of Jesus. And what comfort is is the ability to endure that. Philippians four. I have the found the secret to contentment. He can be content in all circumstances. And so comfort to him is to be strengthened so that he can face hardship. And it's more so also interesting that he says like you know you know we we suffered. And, um, you know, and were comforted, um, you know, but that was all endured um, because of, you know, you know, the hope that he has for this church in Corinth. And he, he's like, you know, making them aware, like, like looking to verse eight, like, you know, we like we himself, uh, whoever he's with, have suffered um, all of these, you know, atrocities um, have been ridiculed, mocked, all those things uh, imprisoned. Um, and he's like, but, you know, I've endured it all. He's endured it all for Christ's name. Um, you know, he's not, he's not really like boasting any of it because he's saying like, yes, I've suffered. And yes, it was, it was for you guys. So like, don't um, be questioning that, you know, potentially like he's um, unspiritual or, or doesn't really want to be there or anything like that. But also saying that, you know, the comfort to endure through all of that came solely from, from Christ. So he's saying, uh, yes, I suffered and uh, it was for your benefit. But also, and and yes, he shared in, in the sufferings of Christ. But also, Christ is the one who's allowing him to endure through it and uh, strengthening him to endure through it. You know, as Paul continues to reiterate this, and as we get into uh, verse eight and beyond, you know, he's saying that you know he's suffered um, and been burdened by all these things going on as he's you know traveled around uh, through it. Uh, specifically, he he mentions Asia here, and then also uh, many of the themes that we've talked about before in this podcast, where you know he's it says he's been. Um, let me let me look at it real quick. Um, 
that the afflictions that he's faced, uh, looking at verse 8, a burden beyond our strength uh, that we despaired of life itself. So, you know, more so looking to, you know, the only reason why he's enduring here is, is because of Christ and because of all the burdens that he's, he's uh, faced, um, specifically here he says, uh, throughout Asia, as, as he's uh, went around and, and spread the gospel um, throughout this time. So some, it's actually interesting you mentioned that. So some, I think in one commentary I was reading, there were at least five different options provided for what is this affliction in Asia. So some people talked about Acts chapter uh, chapters 19 and 20 with the uh, riot in Ephesus with the, I think the, the temple, uh, to deal with Artemis, but, and then there were uh, potentially opposition from other Jews or maybe even just internal suffering, which I find unconvincing, but regard the, the text is not clear. Commentators are unsure, but the point is that he was afflicted and participating in Christ's suffering on behalf of the gospel for the salvation of other people. And so he says that we were tested beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. And so we felt that we had received the sentence of death, verse nine. And this is not literal. So some people think that it was possible he got an actual death sentence. He's saying it felt like we'd received that. And the fact that uh, he uses, if you get a death sentence in Rome, you typically cannot use a lot of your, uh, citizens rights in the future. And we see later in acts, he's using his Roman citizenship in like the, the mid 20, the chapters in the early to mid twenties in acts. And so that fact, it's probably more of a feeling that they're facing death, but regardless, that was to make them rely not on themselves, but on God. Andre, when is this, ver- when has this verse been relevant to us in the podcast before? Yeah, so like I was pointing out, verse 8 as well, and throughout the rest of this section, um, you know, where, where they say, you know, uh, they get their strength from God who um, who raises the dead, um, you know, Paul's making very clear where they're getting their endurance, their, their hope, um, their strength from. And in verse 8, when it says that, you know, <clears throat> the sufferings they face have made them, you know, despise, despise life itself, that, you know, it's beyond their strength. And what they can endure. Um, and we've talked about on the podcast um, before that, you know, sometimes the uh, challenges we faced, I think it was in the episode about the misconstrued verses, um, the challenges we face might be more than, than what uh, we can handle. And that, that is because, you know, God wants us to rely on him. And I think that Paul is making this really uh, great distinction here that, um, you know, he suffered um, as Christ suffered. And then also, you know, he's pointing out to them that, you know, they too might suffer, uh, they might have this shared suffering, but it's not just shared between Paul and the church in Corinth. It's also shared between them and Jesus, who um, was crucified, who suffered for all of our sins and, and suffered much in the same way, in the way how he was uh, mocked, beaten, um, ridiculed, and all of those things. And that shared suffering um, that, you know, Paul says that, you know, is tied between him and, and potentially other Christians at the church at Corinth, also tied to Jesus. Um, you know, that uh, shared suffering there, um, also makes it so much more relevant that he says that Christ is also the one who comforts. So the one who understands um, the suffering faced by by Paul and, and by um, other Christians is is also the one who is going to comfort them and who's going to allow them to um, endure and have hope through that suffering. That um, Jesus knows that um, this suffering is going to take place and, and he too is going to be the one who, who comforts. Amen. And so at the end of verse 9, the one that they rely on is God who raises the dead. And so we often only think about this in terms of Jesus, which is not a bad impulse or 
tendency. But to speak of God who raises the dead was actually part of Jewish prayers as well. I mean, you think of Elijah and Elisha and the first and second kings and what they did. But more importantly, I mean, you think of patterns in the Old Testament. So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He's not just thinking of that. He's thinking uh, Joseph and how he went into the pit and his life, in a sense, was resurrected and went from uh, prisoner to prince. And so that is certainly a resurrection motif. In fact, there's a book on it released recently. I forget what it's called, but I... I want to dive into that one. But this God who raises the dead is a Jewish hope, a Jewish prayer. But what's significant for Paul and for us is that it's applied to the Christian faith, that it's he has raised Jesus the Messiah from the dead, and that's who his hope is in, that his the gospel of Christ is his mission, and Jesus' resurrection is his hope for his own resurrection, even if he dies. And so, man, do you mind if we jump into, uh, after we see in verse 11 that he wants intercessory prayer and that he wants them to be praying for him, which is interesting because in typical letters of Paul, he's praying for them, thanking God for them. He wants them to be praying for him. But do you mind if we jump into the next section here? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, Paul asked for prayers and, you know, because of his suffering, he's, he, you know, he's saying, let's, let's share this prayer. Um, in this next part, you know, as you said, let's, let's jump into uh, verse 12 into the end of this chapter. In this first um, little paragraph, we, we see at the end of that, uh, that he says that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us and we will boast of you. So it's really clear that there's like some tension here. You know, he's really asking them uh, to, to pray. Uh, you'd think, oh, you know, like they'd probably already be praying for him anyway. He, he's the one who helps uh, start this church. Um you know, the, the, you know, one of the leaders of this church, um, that we know that there's some tension there. Um, they're really angered that he can't, you know, come and, and, you know, physically be there with him, with them and that he's just writing this letter to them. Um, Paul talks about his sufferings and, you know, how that, uh, you know, really sets them apart. Um, and, you know, as he asks um, for prayers and, and we see this tension, you know, we know that um, here he's kind of being questioned in other places of his ministry in Asia. He's being, um, you know, he's experiencing suffering um, in Ephesus. He's also, um, it's, you know, it's unsafe for him to be there as well. Um, and, you know, that's kind of where it puts him here and where he's not to defend why, you know, why it is that he, he can't come right now. Why it's just um, in, in, in this case, um, a letter and what his hopes are for, for the church. That's really good. So, as you said, he's talking about his hopes for them and that they will boast of him, Timothy, and others with him, uh, Silvanus, instead of, or as he wants to be boasting of them, he wants unity in the church. And so he talks about boasting a lot. Uh, Andre, we would typically think, well, I climbed a V3. Sounds pretty good. My other buddy hasn't even climbed that. Climbed a V7. Somebody else hasn't climbed that. Whatever it is. Or, you know, I got this grade. We don't... Dude, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Hold on, man. What? A V6? V3? What are you talking about, man? V. As in very challenging? All right, guys. This just proves or shows that Andre's very easy or very early into the climbing stages. And we are hopefully <laughs> going to leave this in. Uh, v is a type of grade for a climb. So if you're climbing like roped climbs, either outside or inside, it's typically in class five. So it'd be like five, one, five, two, five, three, et cetera. If you go to the gym, it's typically like five, six to five, 13 D or so, maybe some 14 A's and some advanced gyms. And, and then, so 
when you boulder though, bouldering problems are from V1 to, I think the highest one now climbed outside is either a 16 or a 17. I want to say a 17. There's also that. Right, man, let's get back to Paul and, and the church at Corinth, man. Right, this is a little above my pay grade still. So. <laughs> I'm probably still in those, okay. in those ones and twos. I'm just man. explaining. If you're doing the first couple color grades at a climbing gym, you're probably climbing between V1 and V3 or so. Uh, j- that's just a climbing thing. And so my point is, though, back to boasting. Paul says that he wants to boast of them as they will boast of them. He wants unity. And so what does to boast here mean, Andre? So if we usually think of boasting as a bad thing, he wants to be boasting. So in light of like something like Jeremiah 9, if you're going to boast, boast in this, that boast in this that you know and understand the Lord. So how is what is godly boasting versus just boasting after a, after a rock climb? Yeah, so I think, you know, Paul is, is making clear here in in verse 12, he says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we uh, behaved in the world of simplicity and godly sincerity, not by, the earthly was, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. So he's, you know, he's saying um, that he wants them to, you know, specifically, you know, be living a certain way, um, you know, using their money a certain way, um, specifically, um, in supporting his ministry, that they're praying for him, uh, and that they have unity and all this, you know, that they're on the same page on <clears throat> the fact that, you know, Paul can't be with them all the time. He has to go to Asia and, and all these other places and to Rome, and, and you know, he has obligations, and, and it is his job, like he said from the beginning, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. You know, it's it's God's will right now that he goes and, and, and spreads the gospel in certain places, and um, he is you know, wanting them to have that unity to be on the same page that, you know, there's a reason why he can't be there with them. And he doesn't want them to, you know, be following after um, other gods or be falling into this immorality or be living their life in the wrong way just because he's not there. He's saying, you know, let's have this unity. Let's um, boast in that we understand um, God's will in the same way and that, you know, we're not relying upon our own um, wisdom, not relying upon our own wisdom, earthly wisdom, but on, uh, God's grace, um, and that is our their primary, uh, you know, reason for unity and reason for understanding between them. That's super good. That's super good. So exactly. So just as we close out verse the twelve to fourteen area on boasting. If they're if they can boast in one another, they have unity. Right now, it doesn't feel like they have unity, and Paul wants them to because if they don't accept Paul's ministry, then they don't understand the implications of the gospel. That somebody as weak as Paul is through who Christ shines the greatest. And so, getting into verse fifteen, he wants them to have a second experience of grace. This experience or this possibility to be gracious and hospitable and kind and uh, generous towards Paul's ministry and his and what he is doing. So grace in terms of not just collection, like in first Corinthians and second Corinthians later, uh, down the road in this season, but also just in terms of being hospitable. And so then he gets into this interesting talk about going to Macedonia and have vacillating plans. And it seems like he's not following up on his word, but he doesn't want to make oaths or swear to do something when the spirit is leading him in so many different ways. His focus is on the integrity of his ministry, the testimony of his conscience. He's behaved with godly sincerity, according to verse 12. And so uh, he's he doesn't want to make a promise necessarily. He wants to give his word, but he also wants them to understand that the Holy Spirit is doing something uh, greater than he can uh, stick to. And so if his plans change, he sees it as being in accordance with God's will. 
Yeah, so so like we've been talking about how, you know, Paul is really saying that, you know, at this point it's God's will that, you know, his plans might change. He might have to go to different uh, places uh, to spread the gospel. It's, you know, this is like something that is supremely important. Um, and, you know, he doesn't, like Michael said, doesn't want them to think that, you know, he's speaking from both sides of his mouth. That he says yes one day and then does another thing or says no. And um, where it says in, in verse 17, as Michael was talking about, but keep uh if we keep going on to, do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? So this is kind of what they're accusing him of. And like Michael said, he needs to, and he will defend his um, integrity. And how he does this is really interesting and uh, really important. And we want to spend some time here, but looking to verse 19 and 20, um, he really uses the, the defense of, uh, for the son of God, Jesus Christ, whom he proclaimed among you, um, Sylvanius and Timothy and I, uh, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. So he really says, like, you know, his integrity comes from, you know, how he is, uh, you know, walking about his life, you know, what is important to him. He's suffering for Christ. He's um, performing God's will. Um, he's doing things uh, for God's will and, um, you know, not boasting in himself, not relying upon any, like, you know, earthly wisdom and, and, um, he wants that unity. So looking to verse 20, what sticks out uh, about that to you, Mike? Andre knows I could go on a soapbox about this verse for days. And uh, I'll save everybody from that because nobody wants to listen to a podcast episode that that's long, that, that is that long. But we see in verse 20, it says in the ESV, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, him being, of course, Jesus of Nazareth. And so we're seeing here, not just that God's promises are, uh, are yes in some abstract sense of, oh, God's going to be faithful to me. No, God's explicit promises in the Old Testament, which is all Paul knew of, they didn't have a New Testament, are finding their yes, are finding covenant fulfillment in Christ. So when God promises seed and blessing to Abraham, Galatians 3, Paul tells us that the seed, the offspring, is Christ and that so there's no there's no longer some future promise for Israel that's not fulfilled in Christ and the church because if the there is an ethnic Jewish promise for people in the future it's found for us because if we are in Christ we are in the one ethnic Jew and so that is applied to us so we see Jesus as the true Israel the spirit is to be poured out in Ezekiel 37 well that is to be on Christ first. And so we see that the Gospels and the whole New Testament applies this to Jesus. I'm studying Revelation right now. It is spread out in every chapter. The Gospels apply that, connecting Hosea one, Hosea 11 to Matthew 2. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Jesus passes through the Jordan uh, River to come out to life and anointment. And so we see uh, repeatedly in the Gospels and in the New Testament through the end of Revelation, Jesus as this new Israel, as the final remnant of God, and in him all of the covenant all the covenant promises, his throne, the throne of the son of David will endure forever, 2 Samuel 7, they all find their yes in Christ. So all covenant fulfillment to Israel is found in Christ, and we participate in that, and that we are participating in the one Jewish Israelite. And so Jesus is the focus of all of God's promises to Israel. And these are finding 
uh, fulfillment now in us because we get to participate in Christ's life as we talked about earlier. We participate in Jesus's death, his crucifixion, and in his resurrection. And so now we are in Christ. Circumcision is not removed. We are the circumcision of Christ, according to Colossians chapter 2. And so, I mean, Paul even says, I think in Romans 2, but I'm not positive about where it is in Romans, that we that there is a true circumcision and that there's a new uh, Israel in light of that. That's kind of how it's applied in Romans chapter 11. And so not to go on too much of uh, this tangent, but where uh, to me a thought process known as dispensationalism fails is that it fails to see how the New Testament interprets the covenant promises of the old. These are fulfilled in Christ. And that is why second half we that is through him, we utter our amen to God for his glory. All of the glory and covenant promises of God find their yes in Christ. And therefore we experience that in Christ. And I think that's really good because, you know, as we wrap up um, this episode and, and, and the rest of chapter one, I think another one of the main themes of this story that we're going to see throughout is, um, you know, Paul really, um, you know, reestablishing potentially isn't the right word, but uh, just reiterating some of like, some key theological and some key ideas um, that he wants, you know, the church at Corinth to, to, you know, be reminded of, uh, hold on to. And that really starts in, in verse um, 19, like Michael said, and verse 20, where, you know, it starts with, for all the promises of God, find their yes in him. But then it goes on um, in verse 21 to say, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us um, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So he's kind of like, uh, I don't know if like reminded or, or you know, reestablishing this for them um, would be the, the right terminology here. But, you know, he's he really does go on in, in this letter and, um, you know, reestablish for them some of the key um, theological ideas that they need to hold to and, and that they shouldn't be straying from, um, which uh, we will find out uh has, uh, you know, Paul speaks to because um, they have started, you know, looking to these all other uh, false apostles or, or false uh, people who are who are trying to tell them uh, different things apart from what uh, Paul has taught them and apart from what is the truth. Exactly. And I think that the end of the chapter kind of sums up what we've been talking about the whole chapter, that Paul's apostleship is set apart by God, that he has been afflicted and comforted in Christ for the joy and salvation of other people. He has godly integrity due to the fact that he is walking by the Spirit, knowing that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ, that he and the church have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, which becomes even more apparent and is given even a better vision and template in Revelation 7. And, uh, uh, that's a guarantee of what's to come on the day of the Lord when Jesus comes to judge and we are vindicated as the righteous in Christ, his blood covers us, which is even more on our hearts today due to Good Friday, and it will be just past Easter uh, when this comes out. And so it was to spare them. So he's being kind to them in verse 23 from not coming. Confrontation isn't always good for Paul, and he knows what would be the most loving. And in verse 24, he concludes with what his goal is, what he's trying to do in his life. He's working for others joy that they might stand firm in his faith his goal isn't that he would ultimately defend himself his goal is just to defend himself so that they might see the gospel that christ's grace and power is made perfect through weakness and so he wants them to stand firm in that faith and he wants them to accept him and know his ministry because he is an outlet through which that can be seen that's really good michael and i think that really uh, sums up um this episode and and 
uh, I think a lot of, of the themes we're going to be seeing throughout the rest of this book um, were really evident here in this first chapter. And I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation, but uh, tune back in next week for chapter two of Second Corinthians. Um, and we'll keep diving into this book together. So see you guys next week.